Good morning again. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I believe that's page 811 in the church Bibles. That would be of some help to you. We're going to read verses 16 and 17, and that's where our interest lies um, this morning. I think it's a fitting way to, for me at least, I think it's fitting to end my time here over these next three months. And as always, if you have a question about Jesus or what we have said or sung this morning, I would be happy to try to answer those questions for you. Verse 16, yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. Amen. Let's bow together and let's pray. When Satan tempts me to despair and reminds me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him, to look on Christ and pardon me. Father, as we come now to this moment of vital importance, a moment which can be so easily overlooked. We turn to you now for the wisdom and the help we need in order that so much, so much will be made of you and your son through the power of the Holy Spirit as your word is preached. So then please God, have mercy on all of us. Have mercy on me, God, the chief of sinners and the least of all pastors. For Jesus' sake, we pray these things. Amen. Well, in our culture... Strength or the possession of strength is praised, is cherished, and much sought after. And weakness, weakness is despised and thought of as a defect. Weakness somehow means we are failing. Weakness means we've missed something. Or in some circles, weakness means that we have somehow missed God's best. Strength is praised is applauded, is cherished, and much sought after. Weakness is despised, avoided, and if we are weak, it somehow means we've muddled things up somewhere down the line. My life, my brain, my body, my car, my truck, my house, my future, my business, my family, my marriage, my spirituality. No weakness. No weakness. Now, from a very early age, in fact, as far back as I can remember, I have mostly felt weak. And this feeling has, by and large, stayed with me ever since. So I think I can safely say, in all my years thus far, I have rarely felt strong. I have rarely felt like a winner, as many would define that term today. And this, I think, is a mercy because I know that God will not allow any of us to remain with the idea or the impression that we are strong. Something will happen, either by the ordinary process of growing old or at the end when we stand before the bar of God's final judgment or maybe in the middle and the merciful prospect of God's providence, something will happen 
And when it happens, one way or another, we will know ourselves weak and this will be good. And we will finally give glory to Him who alone all glory is due for everything. C.S. Lewis, in his terrific book, Prince Caspian, writes out a scene where Aslan is speaking to the prince and he's asking the prince, do you find yourself sufficient to take up the kingship of Narnia? Caspian replies, uh, I don't think so. Good, Aslan says. If you had felt yourself sufficient, it would have been proof that you are not. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, following. Therefore, Paul says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then, and we could probably add safely, then and only then am I strong. And ladies and gentlemen and young people, I'm going to suggest to you this, this modesty of mine is very, very hard to have. In fact, more than likely, the modesty of the self and the humility of thoughts on the self is by and large a lost art for most in our day. A day where technology provides the platform for personal propaganda in unprecedented levels. A day in which Dorothy Parks once joked, in which American children are not raised they are incited. They're given food, shelter, and applause. A day when some in the Christian uh, movement worship power and wealth and status and ease and strength. That's what they want their God to give them. And a day when personal rights and personal freedoms are given godlike status both in and outside the church. Which is why we've been learning that Paul is very concerned that nothing will hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ, least of all his rights. And his example to us is that when it comes to the exercise of his Christian freedom, when it comes to the exercise of his Christian rights, he's free to lose them for the sake of the gospel of Christ and its advancement. In other words, Paul would say, if I need to appear weak... If I do not exercise my real rights and my real freedoms, hence, if I put myself in a position of apparent weakness, then that's fine. That's fine as long as the gospel is not impeded because it will be impeded. The gospel will be held back if I elevate my rights above my duty which Christ my King has given me. Don't forget that. If we're wondering why the gospel is not advancing in our lives, if we're wondering why we can't see people to faith in Jesus Christ, this is one of the reasons. If I elevate my rights above my duty, which Christ, my King, has given me. Which is why Paul says what he says in verse 16. You'll see this if your Bible's open. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. So what does Paul mean by that? In a context where that context in Corinth and probably ours where boasting is considered a necessity. I mean, how else are you going to get your name out there if you don't put your name out there? In a context where freedom of expression is a right, 
He's telling the Corinthian church that he cannot take any special pride in the fact that he's a preacher of the gospel. Why? Well, because as usual, Paul is thinking things through. Would to God that I would think things through more. Many of us would think things through more. Clearly, Paul understands that he has nothing to do with this. He didn't invent the gospel. He's not responsible for the substance in the gospel. He didn't, as we'll learn this in a moment, he didn't call himself into the ministry. And the mindset of Paul should be the mindset of all who are entrusted with this kind of similar responsibility, which he can find, I bet, if he just turned the page. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And loved ones, that is how we are to judge all the preaching we hear, and specifically the preaching we hear Sunday by Sunday. Does it fit that framework? Is this an individual who has received from the Lord in the Word and has passed that Word along to you? That's the great test. So the great test is not whether he was hilarious. It's not whether he was short or long or apparently effective. The great test is not even if he spoke to me and it's not even the size of the group. But did the individual take what was received from the Lord in the Word, in its context, find Jesus, preach Jesus, and pass it along to you? Now, that's the test. So to underpin that reality, there's two words which would help us that Paul gave us. The first word is compelled. And if you're taking notes, you can see in the back of the worship folder, there it is, the word compelled, verse 16. I cannot boast about preaching because I am compelled to preach. So Paul's saying, it's inside of me. I can't do anything else except preach. So the Greek word there is ananke. It means this is of necessity. He is constrained to this. A strong force given needed to accomplish something absolutely required. That's Paul's compulsion. So a great cross-reference would be Galatians 1.15. Paul says this to the church, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In other words, Paul says, I was born for a purpose, and that purpose was to preach Jesus Christ. You find the same thing in the Old Testament and many of the preachers of that era, Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah. In fact, listen to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Okay, Jeremiah, why are you on this planet? Well, I'm on this planet to be a prophet to the nations, to proclaim God to all peoples. This one thing I do. Jeremiah, do you think you're a great speaker? Well, not really. Okay, what's your view on this? Listen to verse 6, same chapter. Oh, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah says, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I'm with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. So I want you to understand that all this silliness of of preaching is not very important or not very impactful in our day, and we need more of X, whatever the flavor of the month is in the evangelical churches, that is nothing more than disobedience and muddle-headedness. Verse 9, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth, Jeremiah said, and he said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Now I want you to understand that preaching then is not a career, it's a compulsion. 
Preaching is not a career, it's a compulsion. And my guess is, is that those of you who are discerning will be able to pick up the difference between the career guys and the career girls who are either building their own little kingdom or they're just on the clock, kind of treading water until they reach 65 or 62, and those who are under the divine compulsion to preach Jesus Christ. God said to Jeremiah, before, before you were born, in your mother's womb. Now think through that. I set you apart. Before you walk this earth, I set it up that you're going to proclaim me in the place where I put you. Now loved ones, that is how important preaching the gospel of Christ is. This is a compulsion. It's not a career. So discouragement can't rid it out. His own inadequacies do not hinder him. He could be offered anything else to stop preaching. But he would not take it. And see, that's how it's supposed to be. Jeremiah 20, if you would. Let's just get a little more of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says that in his preaching, I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But, but this is what he says. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like fire. A fire shut up in my bones. And I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Now, do you understand what he's saying? Jeremiah says, I say what I was given to say. So we would say it, I'm tied to the text. And when I say it, what happens? Do I get nice letters? No, usually I get mean letters. I say what I'm supposed to say, and what happens? More supporters, Jeremiah says? No, actually more detractors. A crowd does grow, but not to say amen, but to say, who do you think you are? And just when I want to quit, just when I think I'm going to shut the whole thing down and try to get a job in social services, what happens? Well, this is what Jeremiah says. Your word, O Lord, is like a fire. Do you you know what that is like? Like a fire shut up in your bones? And I cannot hold it in. In fact, it wears me out. It fatigues me. You see, that is an unusual perspective on preaching. But that is a biblical perspective on preaching. Because preaching is not a career. It is a compulsion. And it is to be understood always as a divine compulsion. Which is why Paul says what he says in the second part of verse 16. Do you see it there? Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now again, when he says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, what's he saying? Well, Paul understands what every preacher, every pastor and teacher should understand. And it is this. If he fails to obey God's call, this would result in a suffering, serious chastisement given by God himself. That's what the word woe means there in verse 16. It means pain to me. Grief to me at the hand of God. You'll forgive me, but will this kind of helps me out sometimes in our context and in our day. So the preacher stands before the throne of God on that great day. God looks at him and says, Wow, what a great tan. What did you do? Why are you so tan? And I see here you did a terrific job on your finances. Why did you keep so much? And your body is so fit. You don't really look dead. You look great for a dead guy. Why are you here? You see, Paul understands with his 
back, scarred, beaten down body, what every preacher or leader in Christ's church or his kingdom should understand. Paul's going to give a full account of his ministry before God. Hebrews 13, 17, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. And so will I. And so will all who lead Christ's church. Paul understands people will be eternally condemned if they do not clearly hear the gospel proclaimed. Romans 10, 14. Paul understands as a teacher, he will be judged more strictly. James 3, 1. Paul understands that the love of Jesus Christ compels him and the fear of the Lord, if you would, propels him, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which means, and please listen carefully, Paul the preacher must set aside all inhibiting factors. He must set aside every one of his prejudices. You could say he must set aside all his political views or his social taste, and he has to carry tolerance and reconciliation to, to its utmost length. Without changing the good news, so that all kinds of individuals from all kinds of places, from all kinds of groups who may think differently than him on all kinds of issues and all kinds of rights may be given the opportunity to repent and believe on Jesus Christ and turn to Jesus in childlike trust and, and for their ultimate salvation. Which is the reason why Paul or any preacher is called to preach in the first place. This is not a career, it's a compulsion. So I want you to know that I do not do this to make a living. So Paul's woe to me, if he doesn't preach the gospel, then is a responsibility that every preacher will face on some level. This is the apostolic pattern. And, and this is important. Remember when we were working through 1 Corinthians 4, and Paul was telling the church, listen, don't judge him or any of their preachers so quickly. Don't judge their apparent successes or their apparent failure so quickly. It's the Lord's will to do that. The Lord will do that and he'll do it on the last day. Because God will expose, expose the motives of every preacher. He will judge the quality of the work of the preacher. If it was gold or just hay and stubble. God will judge it whether he was just in it because he thirsted for applause. Or he liked to talk. Or it was a kind of an easy job. Or he loved to be with people. And God will give the praise where it's due. God will give the praise where it's due. In fact, if you think about it, it will simply be God crowning his own grace because everything a preacher does and everything a preacher accomplishes, no matter who they may be, is done by way of his grace anyway. And the good ones know that. And you see, that is why if, if we come into a context like this and we do not take preaching seriously, either the preacher does not take it seriously or you, the listener, does not take it seriously, then you fail to take God seriously. And if you fail to take God seriously, not only will we not love and obey and adore Him the way He should and the manner He requires in a way that makes the watching world finally take notice, we will fairly quickly replace God, not just with some things, but with everything. And you see, that's our day. Everything everything before this thing. So we understand preaching then. And if we understand preaching the way Paul understands preaching, the way that Paul is explaining it, we could conclude that much of what passes for preaching is not preaching in our day. So just because the Bible's open and a few verses are mentioned doesn't make it preaching. 
doesn't make it preaching. Not this divine compulsion. J.I. Packer gives a terrific definition of preaching in this specific sense when he says this. Listen to him. Christian preaching is the event of God. Let me just stop there. There's more to it, but you just want to kiss Mr. Packer on his forehead. He gets it. Christian preaching is the event of God. Bringing to a congregation a Bible-based, Christ-related, life-impacting message of instruction and direction from himself through the words of a spokesman. That's it. He goes on. Doctrinal preaching, preaching from the scriptures, certainly bores the hypocrite. But it's only doctrinal preaching that will save Christ's sheep. The preacher's job is to reclaim the faith, not to provide entertainment for unbelievers. In other words, to feed the sheep rather than amuse the goats. It's good, isn't it? Okay, that's our first point. Compelled. I think you can see that in verse 16 pretty clearly. Our second then word is assign. That's verse 17. If you look at it, Paul is basically giving the difference between a volunteer and a draftee when it comes to preaching. A volunteer can decide to or not to. They're a volunteer. A draftee, while understanding that word may not carry the kind of force that it used to carry, a draftee has no choice. If they're assigned, they have to go. And so what Paul is saying that he was assigned to the task by God. He would say simply, I have to preach. I was assigned to preach. Jesus said to preach. Because if you think about it, nobody in their right mind would volunteer for this unless they were, I don't know, if they were pushed by their parents or they wanted applause or they wanted the status that they wrongly associate with this kind of work. Listen to Acts 26, 16. Paul's before Agrippa. He's giving his testimony and he's quoting Jesus. This is Jesus to Paul. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And that's what Paul is saying, verse 17. I'm simply doing what I was assigned. If I preach, expecting nothing by way of provision, i.e. voluntarily decide not to use my rights, then I have a reward. But if not, then I'm simply doing what I was told to do by Jesus. That's it. Jesus said to preach, I have to preach. Now, if you think about this, how simple is that and how liberating is it? He's not tied to applause. He's not tied to the terror of the prospects of criticism. He is, if you would, just tied to the text, which means he's tied to Jesus and he's just doing what Jesus said to do. And so Paul understands when he's done his best, He's just an unworthy servant. And that's the sense of the phrase in verse 17, discharging the trust committed to me. Uh, Oikonomeia is the Greek word. It means he's a steward. He's a household uh, manager. He's a glorified butler. That's what he's saying. So he takes the lowest approach to these high-minded Christians in Corinth, and he says, guys, listen, I'm a steward. I'm a maid. I'm, I'm a butler. I'm in charge of things. I have no real rights. I, I have no real rewards. Not on earth. I only have responsibilities. I only have my assignment, and that's what I'm doing. It's not my message, it's God's message. No matter how hard and how good I preach, I can't change lives. That's the work of God. I didn't call myself. I'm just doing what I was told to do. That's it. 
He's a preacher. He's simply a steward. Guard the gospel. You've been trusted with the gospel. Take good care of it. Watch over it and watch over the flock. And Jesus said the same thing to his disciples that would be soon apostles. This is true for all of God's servants so that none of us would get a big big head, stare too long at ourselves in the mirror when we do the work, especially the work in relation to the work of the gospel. Luke 17, 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did that, what he was told to do? It's a rhetorical question. No, that's what servants do. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Now, loved ones, that is an unusual perspective. Why would someone try to profit from a message not theirs? Why would someone try to profit from a message that was given? Why would someone try to profit from gifts that were given to declare the message? Why? Why? So Paul would say what Richard Baxter would say from an earlier generation near his death. Some of you know this. He's near his death and people were saying all kinds of nice things to him about his ministry. And Baxter says, I was just a pen in God's hand. What praise is due a pen? We sang this song. I actually love it. Hallelujah, what a savior. I owe everything to him. We sing this song, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. We've sung this song before, so with every breath that I'm given, I will sing salvation song and I'll join the chorus of creation, giving praise to Christ alone. Galatians 6, 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, loved ones, in a context then... In Corinth, and maybe now, when men can't get by without knowing how good they've done, when we're tempted to throw around our deeds and our accomplishments and our names, but not the name of Jesus, there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here. Paul was compelled to preach. Paul was under obligation to preach. He was assigned to preach. This was his sacred responsibility. So no reward was expected. No reward was desired. No right was clinged to too tightly. He was working for the pleasure of the glory of his master. Period. Period. So I think we have to ask ourselves at least these questions. There are probably more, but at least these. How many of our headaches and our heartaches and our stresses and our disappointments are simply because we... we, have too great of a longing to cling to our rights and our freedoms to go and do as we please and not being tied down or driven by our Christian duty. And how different that is than the example of Jesus and the example of Paul. And what do you do with what you hear week by week when Jesus Christ is preached? Is our lives, is my lives increasingly becoming consistent with the message we believe? And loved ones, how crucial is preaching 
in the mind and the plan of God. That God sets preachers apart in the wombs of their dear mother. God guides them to their post to declare the authority of Christ. To declare that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. Therefore, we must bow to Him. You know this. Authority in our day is a very unpopular concept. An equally unpopular word. All forms of authority are being challenged. Not, of course, of course any kind of um, oppressive authority should be challenged. But genuine authority now is being challenged. Even the authority of Christ. So we have people despising authority and at the same time searching for freedom. And the one way they're certain they will find it is to not be constrained or not be impinged by anything other than themselves to exercise their rights, which they're certain that will give them the freedom that they desire. But they cannot see, and listen carefully, they cannot see, Paul sees this, they cannot see that freedom and authority are mutually irreconcilable. Mutually irreconcilable, which is why the church in general has so many denominations. It's the pathological sin of splitting up. I know what's best, and we'll go start another group there. This is why the church has so many denominations, so many subcultures, and which is why we have this strange phenomenon of people who say they're religious or Christian, but do not take part in any meaningful way in a local church which is the physical representation of the body of Jesus Christ. And you see, loved ones, that is why we need genuine preaching. Because it is in true Christ-centered, gospel-relied-on preaching do we find our way to Christ for real, for real and forever. When Jesus Christ is preached... We find the lover of our souls. We find our Savior and our friend. We find our righteousness. We find our substitute. We find our holiness. We find our way home. And we get to see the Lord Jesus Christ Sunday by Sunday in some kind of meaningful, Christ-exalting way, which, which is what the world needs desperately. Okay. We've got to go now. <laughs> I'll be happy to be back. I want to thank you for allowing me this privilege that I've enjoyed for now seven years. I want to thank you for your prayers. I want to thank you for your forgiveness and your presence in my life and in my family's life. I look forward to September 1 or 2. I don't know exactly what day it is, but that day I'm ready to be back already. And one last hope for you is this. In fact, why don't you close your eyes and I'll make this a prayer, please. May God bless you richly and deeply in many wonderful and surprising ways over the course of this summer. May Christ be made known to you week by week And may you live in a way that you live for the praise of his glory. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. 
To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.